Yo 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 Welcome to Tusk Talk, episode number eight. My name is Evan Nyquist, and I have Brandon Hagen, also known as Seems Good, of Team Tusk. Yeah, hello. And we also have Josh Hand, also known as Mega Deuce. Mega Deuce. From Team Tusk as well. Josh? Hey, guys. How's it going? Excellent. Today we're going to be going over Maverick, uh, and then we're just going to kind of jump around from topics ranging from Dark Depths, 12 Post Elves, a recent SCG Classic Columbus results, uh, also MTGO Legacy Champs results, and Eternal Masters, we're just going to kind of float through there, melding together our agenda uh, for oh. the listening pleasure. <laughs> uh, uh, God. Uh, uh, Excellent. All right. You guys top aided like some SCG events, right? From uh, yeah, I, I have a couple open top eights. Brendan, I think you won the classic, right? No. Uh, second place? No. What? Oh, whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan's accomplished nothing. Don't even talk about it. Weren't you, you in some Charlotte list recently? Uh, Charlotte? I, don't I thought know. you got second at a classic with elves or something at some point. Yeah. No, I don't know. You, I just see two legacy events. Uh, yeah, more than that. Yeah, I mean, I, I see uh, Philadelphia, IQ, Charlotte, IQ, for Black Tesseret, too, here. 2011, wow. Hell yeah. That's my shiny accomplishment. Josh, you did Storm, right? And, uh, yeah, look at this shit. Just look at this. Yeah, Storm, dead guy. I've top-aided with Dark Depths a couple times at some IQs, so that's my input on this cast as far as talking about that death, <laughs> period. Well. Got a lot of top eights. No wins for all mm-hmm. of us. Yeah, <laughs> surprise maids here. <laughs> so I guess we're going to start out with some talk on Maverick. You guys both have a strong background with the deck, but it'd be good to have you guys on to chat about it and kind of where it's moving forward. It has some cool new cards. So if you guys kind of want to bounce off each other and I'll kind of listen and maybe chime in here and there and ask questions, etc. Yeah, sure. Uh, Maverick was my introduction to Legacy. It's kind of how I started out with the format. I don't play it a whole lot recently, but it's, it's still a special part of the format to me. Uh, I know Josh has been playing it the last, uh, what, two months, three months? Uh, yeah, it's been about two or three months, I'd say. I picked up all the cards that I didn't have, and I, I remember watching you play it back when, and it looked really fun, so I put it together and been pretty decent for the last couple of months. Yeah, the list surprisingly hasn't changed a whole lot from when I played it. There haven't yeah, really been I'm a thinking... whole lot of new creatures besides this new Thalia. Yeah, yeah, new Thalia. Like, I guess scavenging has been forever ago at this point. Yeah, I, I, I really like new Thalia this weekend. She was a pretty solid addition to the deck, definitely. She seems to uh, maybe help out some of the poor matchups for Maverick. I could be wrong, but I feel like the like Elves and Miracles, yeah. Shardless, some of these decks I think kind of crumple to this card. Yeah, Charlotte was more so than Miracles, but um, so I was playing Elves this past weekend at the uh, Legacy Quarterly, and uh, yeah. I played against uh, Death and Taxes with Thalia, 
Um, and I think in there, you know, it comes down on turn three, and if they don't have Wastelands to back it up, they're not really taking full advantage of it themselves. It felt a lot more brutal when I was playing against Josh. He sticks it on turn two or turn three with Wasteland backup. Yeah, it's, it's tough for you guys then. Like, everything seems to be coming down to you being able to have untapped elves come in and make a bunch of mana and your lands come in and you can just be really mana efficient. But she really slows it down, like, determine, like, maybe two, two and a half turns there. That sounds about right. I mean, just in the time you lose on your glimpses and the time you lose on your cradles, and even just your regular yeah. land drops, it's just, it's just really, it hurts a lot. Plus your um your naturals you have to almost double the amount of power you need just to to get through lethal because you you, yeah, you missed out on like you know eight, easily eight to you know ten damage on your crater hoof with most activations yeah yeah between that and it's just like then you maybe have to leave a uh, wirewood or a ranger to untap the hoof just to make it lethal yeah which is you know it's not the hardest thing to do but if, if they're playing it on turn two you're kind of you're kind of grasping out a lot of straws there to get that to work yeah it's a lot. Especially the game one where you didn't have removal. But yeah, exactly, yeah. But I do find it to be more vicious in uh, in uh, Maverick than it is in Death and Taxes. At least from my impression, because Death and Taxes always feels like this, you know, deck that wants to kind of assemble its board and, and make it some blockable guys in the air. Whereas Maverick, I mean, it felt like even when you weren't building to a game plan or you were trying to like get your knight active, you were yeah. still hitting me in the face with a Thalia for five off your double exalt. Right. Your yeah, first strike's real tough to de- to beat sometimes. And that really affects the Goyf decks lately, all the Gurmag decks too. They don't really get a creature that big that can beat a five power first striker or even a four power first striker until yeah. pretty late into the game. Thinking about the exalted triggers on Thalia first strike seems real sick. Well, and now you have double Thalia to work with in that deck. Um, and so you, you've easily got a four power first striker in most games between your two. Yeah, talents. you get like both her and the old one down, and like against like Eldrazi when they are attacking for with four fours and five fives, the first strike is really insane. But um, I mean, I think it allows you to play a little more aggressively when you have root maze in play, and you don't have to worry about as, as many blockers. And so that's that's kind of a, a different change of pace for Maverick to work with because it's always had the aggressive Quasali Pride Mages, but um, I think now you can actually play a more aggressive game in total and then just try and get them into the single digits and beat them with your mothers. You can't cut the rogues passage just yet. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great card so far. You still need it. Where does the Thalia slot in? What is it replacing? I'm just playing 64 cards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> gotta go 67. Now, gotta uh, land there. What did you cut? Yeah. I've been trying out Tireless Tracker. He's actually been pretty good, pre-Thalia at least. Like, he's good at grinding out games, and sometimes you draw a ton of extra cards off the clues, and he's just a graveyard. He d- he's not a graveyard-dependent big dude. No, but I know um, your deck has... Um, You have, like, Tracker. You have, uh, you have Scrub Ranger... You have one of Gavin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. where do the slots for the Thalias come from? I cut down the Stoneforge. I just took two, the two Stoneforges that I was playing out because you're just a better threat on your own. And most of the time, the equipment you rather just draw anyway. So I replaced two of those and the one tracker, I think. So I'm playing three old Thalia and three new Thalia. You're playing, are you switching over to black pretty soon here, or are you still playing the red version for now? Uh, currently, I'm playing red, no punishing fire, just kind of a. I just had the duels and started playing the red version because I thought like red blasts might be nice for a metagame and uh, Boyle's really good. Just a lot of good red cards. Electric now, is a sweeper. Yeah, I think you were mentioning that you, you know, if you were to play black, though, you'd be looking to play Decay's main board. Oh, definitely. And I think yeah. the question is where do the slots come from for that? Do mm-hmm. they compete with the Thalia slots? That's a good question, actually. I didn't really think too much about it. Might depend on your meta. Like, if you're more combo meta, you probably want more old Thalia. I think they kind of interchange there in the disruption rules. So if you expect a lot of Shardless Bug and stuff, you'll play the new Thalia. Maybe, but if you stick more miracles and combo, you'll probably play the old Dahlia. So you probably cut into her, and maybe you cut a swords to plowshares, and since their decays are extra removal too, and 
Like, are you going to play 40Ks? Because I've, I've never been fond of 40Ks and 4 Swords. I think the 3-3 three, three split might be fine. That seems pretty reasonable so far. What were your matches on the, at the quarterly? Oh, with, with my uh, Thalia deck and stuff? Right, yeah, and how, and how did those go? I played Shardless Bug in the first round, and she was pretty damn good. Like, I think the game one ended up with me having Mother Runes plus both Thalias on board, and it was just, with a Hierarch, it's able to attack through a Goy fairly easily in the matchup where Sorceries don't hit the graveyard because Green Sun a lot. So not only does she keep Goyf town, tap down to attack through, she's just, even when the Goyf comes in untapped, she's really good at battling with him. So Tireless Tracker seems to be another great improvement to the deck. Like, if I was playing Maverick right now, I'd definitely be jumping into some number of Tireless Trackers, definitely some of the Thalia. I'm not sure if there's too much benefit with the clues other than just having an extra draw, but that has been kind of one thing that Maverick wanted for a little while. You have Sylvan Library, but having a green sun target's not the worst, and another threat just as non-graveyard reliable, so if they board in rest in pieces for your knights or something, you can still make a big guy. The question I have, because I actually haven't played Tireless Tracker, but does it compete with all your other free drops? Because you've got New Thalia, you've got Knight, and you've got Green Sun as basically a three drop in most games. Yeah. Like, is it is it kind of filling that slot there too much, or is it... Um, it might be, yeah. Deal? Especially with the New Thalia coming in, then it's like, it was kind of something you didn't really need, but it was nice to have, and she's just something I think is better in a lot of ways, in Legacy at least. That was my first impression, but I, I do see the advantage of, you know, going crazy with Night in turn, getting two or three clues in play, you know, in a, in a turn cycle, and then just having that option oh, yeah. if you need to in the late game. So, I mean, it makes sense to me. Yeah, and Cradle really helps you break the extra clues if you make two or three a turn. He's nice to break board stalls. Like, he's kind of a win more card at times, but he is, he is nice to make board, break board stalls when you have the Cradle going. Sure, and Cradle's not too tough to get going in that deck. You're playing, what, like nine one-drops? Yeah, if you, especially even, even more if you count, like, Green Sun as a one-drop for Dryad Arbor a lot of times, so... Sure, sure. That definitely counts to me. Legacy's kind of the format that rewards knowledge of the format, though. I think that shows in a lot of results is that, you know, you can basically play whatever you're comfortable with, and as long as you understand why you're making the choices you are, it's, it's usually an okay. Which is why I think even, like, with deck building with Maverick, I think there's enough ways to build the deck that you're not set to one best build, and it's kind of just how you want to play it. It's nice to be able to tweak within the meta. Yeah, especially with sideboarding as well. I mean, you have enough flexibility to actually change the way you want to play the deck. Because I know sometimes, I mean, like we were mentioning earlier, with all the exalted triggers, you, you can actually can play the beatdown. Uh, um, but you can also alternate the game plan up and kind of prioritize your, your zeniths for knights, and you can prioritize just having um, having active mothers and having removal spells early. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mother Runes is just a nice card for the deck to just kind of duress your opponent. I always kind of felt like Maverick was more of a like creature deck that was like control-based as well. Like, like, it is, because it's, it's got a lot of uh, difficult elements to, to, to deal with. Yeah, it's like a yeah. huge utility belt, you know, that you're just having pulling these creatures off of, throwing at your opponent's face. Sure, and, and having just efficient creatures like Mother and Thalia alongside some of the better removal like Decay and Swords and that kind of stuff. Primage even, and then also having that kind of the wasteland, uh, you know, aggressive dudes package. It just it plays a lot of angles, and it lets you decide what angle is actually best for the matchup. And uh, yeah, a lot of turns you like want to decide whether you want to like activate knight to get a wasteland or attack with a big knight. And then sometimes like, do you want to use your mother runes on your knight to attack through their dudes or keep it up for removal for later? Just a lot of different things each turn to think about what you're going to do with your cards. And I'm sure you've noticed by playing Maverick as well, but I think there there are points in the game where you can actually just decide if you want to change gears. And, you know, it doesn't have to be turn two or turn three sometimes. You can 
you can decide on something early on and then switch later, and uh, it's, it's kind of nice in that regard. So I, I do miss playing the deck. I think I will try it again now that I have Thalys in the mail. It seems like a lot of fun for people that like to like build decks to me, like, especially right now. It's just, like, I guess the point I was trying to get at with like the utility is that there's, and to kind of just bounce off of what you guys were saying with the meta, is that you can get rewarded, A, for just being a good legacy player, knowing your deck meta real well, but to kind of conform your deck build to the meta to answer it. I just feel like yeah. there's such a variety that you can actually pull the tools that you need to kind of answer the equation. And I think I mentioned earlier, I mean, the, the lists do look largely familiar to what they used to look like two years ago, but they've, they've got a couple cards here and there that are different. I think the bigger thing is that you have to, the way you play the deck has changed slightly. You just have to prioritize different things now. So that's, it's kind of nice to see the deck evolve in that manner rather than just card choices, ex, you know, ex, ex, exclusively. I've had a second scavenging news because I just noticed that the meta around here has a lot of graveyard decks or just decks that get hurt by having an active scavenging news with a bunch of green mana. Like, it's been a real difference for me between winning and losing games. I had, uh, three Maverick decks that top aided a IQ pretty recently. Yeah. I want to say a few months ago. So I'm looking here, there's a couple 5-0s in the last month or two on Magic Online, the, the competitive leagues. Oh, like the five-round events or whatever? Right, right. There's a 16th place in Worcester. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the Star City Games Legacy Open with uh, 780 players. That's pretty solid. So I think, you know, again, the deck is there. It's just a matter of how many glass are going to play it. Yeah. Which I think kind of determines a lot of the results in any event. Well, like how you approach each matchup individually? No, I mean, just the actual quantity of players. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Because, I mean, maybe the deck is really good and just no one's really committed to it yet, but I don't know, but... um. Interesting. Actually, this uh, this sixteenth playlist, the sixteenth place list in Worcester, is playing the red um, with three main word punishing fires. I mean, this is like a four color loam, isn't it? Uh, Night Mother, Death Rite, Stoneforge, three Stoneforge. I must and be looking at the wrong list. I mean, I liked your point earlier where you kind of mentioned that you know, there's just sometimes it's just a lot of people that just aren't dedicated to a deck, you know, and playing it, just like this. Subject matter that's like tucked under the pillow of legacy that people don't really talk about much. You know, best deck, oh, like, worst deck. Like, like not necessarily their best deck on this, that worst deck. You're just kind of sticking to a deck and learning every in and out of it. Or legacy's kind of fickle like that, though. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where the people that want to do well will choose the decks that are doing well already. Yeah. And you know, the people that want to play the deck they've always played will play the deck they've always played. And then there are the people that don't have a lot of flexibility to work with, so they, they end up playing the same deck just because that's what they have. I think. You know, more so than any other format, Legacy is the one where people commit to a deck early on when they try and build it, and then they mm-hmm. spend, you know, $1,500, and then they, they're locked in, which I, I know you've experienced, Josh. Like, you've been locked into a deck for a couple months. That's kind of my own doing, but, yeah, it happens. Which, I mean, I, I'm kind of the same way right now, though. You know, I, I have some flexibility, but it's it's not enough to make me want to switch decks all the time, and so I end up just playing the same thing. But um, Yeah, like you, like you just enjoy that, or is it just because, like, you don't own a lot of the stuff? Well, I mean... It, I have enough flexibility in green, black, and white. Every deck I want to build is going to be in that kind of scope of uh, of, of legacy. And so they yeah. all end up playing, you know, comparable game plans as far as they all play overlap with the right. game or something like that. And so I'm locked into playing a replicate decks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that's, yeah, I, I get it too. Yeah, I'm stuck like basically like now I have these Noble Hierarchs, so I guess I'm playing Noble Hierarch decks. Right, and so that kind of, it changes the way you want to, you know, build decks, and um, it's it's why there are certain you know states and certain cities that when SCG comes around, you always know there's going to be more of X or more of Y, 
Like, Atlanta used to be all goblins, right? Oh, God, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's like, I mean, you know, the goblins players have had their decks for years, and so they just, they come out of the woodwork and they, they, they play goblins. We used to have a lot yeah. of goblins players. We had the Shatter Gang and then that dude at Wasteland that, like, worked behind the counter, played goblins. Forgot his name, but see him at SCG Open sometimes. Yeah. Anyways, I just derailed everything. <laughs> uh, I mean... It's like we were saying, Thalia just kind of goes in against combos and miracles, and Knight's just a good creature in Legacy if he gets activated, especially with Mother Vrunes to protect it and the other things drawing removal before she comes down. Put it in off of Show and Tell, and it gets a Krakus to bounce whatever they put in. Like, that's great. Would you consider Knight to be one of the strongest, if not, like, kind of the highlight of the deck? Yeah, I mean, it's probably what you get for with Green Sun most of the time. At some point, you just hit so much mana, you just make a Knight because it's the best thing you can just do in the deck. Definitely one of your bigger uh, end games. Yeah. It's it's consistent is, is is what it is. Now, what are some of like the fringe cards for Maverick? Aren't really on people's radars. Like Retribution of the Meek, maybe against like uh, Eldrazi. Oh, like things Maverick could be playing. Potential cards Maverick could be playing, I guess. Like new technology that might be worth testing. Well, I think um, one of the bigger ones is Scrub Ranger because it, it used to be a staple of the lists like maybe two, three years ago, and now you hardly see it at all. When you do see it, it's it's just, sometimes it's just such a blowout. So almost no one plays around Scoop Ranger until they've seen it already. Yeah, yeah, I played against a Merfolk guy, and I my only I was down to like one land and a couple mana dorks or something, and I just flashed him in. He was able to block their dudes, make mana for me by untapping creatures and bouncing lands. Like she was really insane against that guy, and that guy just never seen the card before. He was not ready for it. You had a reader. Yeah. Well, I mean. I play Elf, and, you know, Queer Ranger is the exact same functional, you know, purpose. And it's amazing how many people actually just get confused with math and mana, and they, they forget that your forests are not wastelandable anymore, and they, they just walk into yeah. things. And, I mean, yeah, they'll, they'll people waste do all the time with math. Oh, definitely, yeah. You don't, they don't realize how much, like, with an untapped knight, just how much damage you can add to the board next turn. Right, or, or blocks, even. You know, just boosting your block by, like, four or five toughnesses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it. Like, just mana dorks makes mana. Mom, let's get mom activations. Like, people aren't ready, for, don't have two removal spells, and they get blown out if they try to waste one. Well, the people that haven't played against mom much are the ones that are terrible without trying to actually play around it. They'll miss it, with the board's hate, or they'll miss it, with the purpose or the, the importance of, yeah. uh, of mother on board, and so it's, it's kind of funny to see that. I think people are getting better at it just because they're playing against a lot of death and taxes. Death and taxes being so popular is just... Something people actually prepare for nowadays rather than used to just write it off as one of those decks you probably won't play against. I guess you always have to be concerned with whether your opponent's playing uh, a Dark Depths package or whether they're playing Cradle and they can just all of a sudden make three more mana than you think they have. Yeah. If they have Sigarda for a green something to target. If they're playing the one of Gaddock to you in the main board. If they have access to Sylvan Safekeeper. Oh, Safekeeper's real sweet. And Sylvan Safekeeper comes down and all of a sudden, you know, they. They don't have two removal spells that actually work anymore, or they, you know, they automatically just die to a, a knight that gets through. So, yeah, just um, any knight unblocked represents like a plus five or a plus six, to plus six. Maybe Titania is like an end game for kind of like your grindier matches, fair on fair decks. I've been more fond of Sigarda. Yeah, Sigarda is probably better, right? Yeah. Sigarda gives you a thing that they yeah. don't really have, which is flying and right. Evasion's huge. It protects you against like Liliana and that kind of stuff, and so and, you know. It's She's pretty sweet. I've played her a bunch in the deck, and like when I just like naturally drew her, she was insane because she'd come off the top late, and you just play her, get back a wasteland, wasteland them, make 
10 power. It's really good and really swingy. But I never really found, every time I drew a green sun, I always just wanted to get another knight rather than her. And with Sagarda, it's kind of changed. Like, there's definitely times that green sunning for a knight is fine, but green sunning for Sagarda is actually better. Seems like there's a lot more Emrakul on the field, too. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot tough. Like, uh, they basically get maybe one hit in, or they can get a hit, and then the second attack, you get to block with Sagarda. So she can buy, actually, like, two turns, and you won't have to sacrifice your stuff. Yeah, which may give you a chance to just rally and make the kill. Yeah, it lets you get a knight one turn and then untap and get Caracas next turn, so it buys a, it buys a ton of time. Any particular bad matchups? The reason I picked up uh, Else was because I played I hated playing Maverick against Else. It felt like you were playing you know these two green wannabe fair decks in Legacy, and then and you're, Else you're was always just worse. better. Right, and yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> it's a better green sun deck. Kind of reason, yeah, like, you're, you're still playing Death Rates and Mana Dorks on turn one, and you're, you're, you're still trying to do something with green sun zenith, and you have decay, and it's just, uh, every time I lost to Else, it kind of just irked me. That's kind of why I switched away. I, th- I, I still think Else is kind of a mediocre matchup at best. Yeah, like we, we said, definitely, we played uh, like, just in the matchup. Yeah, and it, it definitely felt better for, for you than what it used to be. With Thalia. But I still wouldn't call it, you know, a favorable matchup. Yeah. It felt like the games I got Thalia down, you are pretty way ahead. But the problem is you don't know if you should keep a Thalia hand against your opponent all the time because you don't know that they're on elves. So. It felt like the games you got Thalia, you had two extra turns to either find like a Teague or to find you know, like a Knight and get going or to just hit me, right? And then you would get me to a point where I actually have to start blocking, where I, you know, but I couldn't favorably do so most of the time. Because game one, you actually you get to use your mother offensively. Which is uh, yeah, which is pretty interesting to sit back and protect. So yeah, it's pretty unsafe. Otherwise, though, I mean, bad matchups used to be like Omnitel. It wasn't you know the worst in the world, but it was definitely not great. Sneak and show is a little easier to deal with just because sometimes their show and tells don't kill you. They let you have another turn basically. Right, so it's not quite as vicious. And then miracles is always a little rough, but I think as long as you you know you're gonna play miracles, you can you can build your deck in the right way. Playing, like, an extra Teague or something in the main. Yeah, or just some kind of foresight, right, to have some kind of plan against Miracles with your sideboard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, I'm playing Wear Tear. I think Decay and Black is better, but Wear Tear is actually kind of nice. Um, I think good matchups for the deck. Like, Shardless kind of feels maybe 50-50, but New Thalia seems to kind of swing in your favor a little bit. I think most of the Delver decks are probably um, probably favorable with the Abrupt Decay. In your deck, um, oh, but definitely, yeah. I don't know if without a Brook Decay, it's you know, it's fantastic. I still think you're you're pretty favored in those matchups too, just because you have Wasteland and you have Thalia um, to kind of keep their mana in check. Yeah, a lot of times, like Knight, they just actually can't kill sometimes. And if you've seen recent lists, I mean, there's a lot of these uh, these Grixis and four color Delver decks that are doing well, and mm-hmm. they're they're playing you know like two to four Gurmag Angler, and Gurmag Angler. Oftentimes it's just smaller than Night of the Reliquary. Their their big end game that's kind of winning them these matchups is is not really that big of a deal for you. So yeah, kind of like Eldrazi is the same way. Now I would have noticed is like, yeah, they make a four four or five five, but if you play to turn two Knight under a Thought Knot, it's going to be able to not only just be bigger and block well, it's also going to wasteland them every turn until they stop playing lands. Right, and like you look at these Gurmag decks and and they have no way to beat a Gurmag in their deck. So when they play the main yeah. matches, you know, it's, it's the Gurmag is, is kind of like the big deal. That's definitely not the case so much in this matchup. Uh, yeah, with, yeah, people just uh, don't have threats that are ready for you, basically. So what else we got here for, for decks? Lands is kind of a 
kind of weird. I think you can do it. Uh, some of the storm yeah. decks. Yeah, storm. It's like you always said. You just gotta survive to turn two, right? Like if they're super mm-hmm. fast, like Tess, then it's tough because they'll probably just kill you a lot of the time on turn one. But Ant is a little slower, so it's actually not horrible versus Ant. You've got two Manathalia, and you've got like five uh, five Teagues on turn two. So yeah. I don't know. And sideboard canonists and all kinds of stuff. Like if you want to beat Storm, you quick. can pretty consistently beat them. Yeah. I mean, with all the Exalted Triggers, you're not giving them the most time in the world to, to kind of just sit there and masturbate. Yeah, I mean, you might be hitting for four by turn three with your eight bear, so... Uh, Infect. Again, I think that's one of those ones where if you have the Decays, it's not terrible. Yeah, I think you just need that seven removal spells or six or seven removal spells. Um, yeah, I played against and James Hames, and it's just like every game that he or that we played, he just had like a Blighted Agent, and with only four swords, it was tough to deal with sometimes. Um, and I think the list is actually kind of cool. It's got a Fiery Justice on the sideboard and a Winter Orb. Yeah, yeah, that guy's on the source who's talking about it. It's pretty cool. Five duels, two basics, Dark Depths package. No, I'm sorry, six duels. Six duels, two basics, Dark Depths package, three Groves, three Wasteland. Um, I play Cradle and, like, Rogue's Passage or something instead to break a standstill because they actually tap for a lot of mana in the mid-game and... They work on their own without stage depths. Sure, and I think it's hard to ignore that this is really good with neither reliquary in play, but I don't know yeah. if you have enough access to it otherwise. Like, you don't yeah, have any kind of rotations or loam or any kind of draw spells at all to really kind of find it. So you're kind of reliant on your knights. And a lot of times, if yeah. you don't have time to get both stage and depths, you just go for wastelands instead. And, like, by the time that you could be, like, activating knight twice, activating and then getting attacked to for 20, it's like, you could have just activated Knight twice and won the game, basically. Right, like you, you could have made two Wastelands, and you could have played another couple two-drops. It felt counterintuitive, except for the times when I needed it to beat certain matchups. Where I needed to sit back, I couldn't be on the offensive with Knights. Elves is like one that maybe you do that, but I don't know. Even still, I'm just not sure you get enough time. Because that's, uh, that's turn three Knight, turn four activate, turn five activate. Yeah. It's kind of rough. Turn five with the uh, Merrill Age is a lot faster than trying to get through them with Knight. Uh, just because they have, yeah. you know, chump blockers or they have uh, wirewood going. That's actually a funny thing. Um, is I was looking for a uh, a creature with reach to play in elves like a, about a year and a half ago. I was so frustrated of dying to delvers. Like the only thing I could find that I would remotely consider playing was penumbra spider, which is a two four with reach. That when it dies, you get another two four with reach, and it's four mana. <laughs> it's pretty sweet against Oleana. And I never got around to it because I could never find a German tongue spiral one. <laughs> but she's she's great for the grind. You know, I'm I'm thinking I, I got to pick one up eventually, just in case Delver becomes a big deal in the area again. I'll play it in Maverick. It'll be great. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's much better than anything else you have. <laughs> one more thing to note on this deck list from Worcester, I just noticed is he's playing um, three Stoneforge main with a uh, Chite and Batterskull, and then he's got zero Thalia main. He's got three Thalia, the two mana with Thalia in the sideboard. So I guess, you know, he's opting for the Punching Fire package instead, which is pretty costly mana-wise if you just want to actually play Punching Fire multiple times. And I guess that's kind of a hedge, where he's hedging against the, the fair decks more than he is against the deck where you actually want Thalia in play on turn two. You play what you're comfortable with, and you play against what you expect, but in any given turn, and if you just have, you know, three bad matchups where it's some wild card deck that you didn't expect to play against. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to really have consistent results unless you're playing something really super versatile like Miracles or, or some of the Delver lists because they don't have as swingy of matchups, right? They're, yeah, uh, Delver matchups. Well, I mean, they're they're fairly stable against all the wild card decks, right? 
Um, oh, yeah. They're not going to lose to some guy playing a three-year-old outdated list or some obscure combo deck. Yeah, yeah. They've had, they have the consistency of uh, good attackers, and they have force of will, and they have whatever manipulation they have to try and maintain that board state. So. Right. Thoughts on why to play the deck? I think you play the deck um, just because you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. It's like a deck that you enjoy, and like I could see there being certain scenes where you want it. Like it's it's great against the Delver decks, like we were saying. So if your room is just full of Delver and maybe combo, and they're just fighting each other, like Maverick's a good way to kind of beat both of those pretty consistently, as well as Eldrazi. Yeah, actually, um, but I haven't played much since Eldrazi actually became a thing. But um, I've only played against Eldrazi twice now. But Maverick does seem like one of the better decks to face that deck because you are you are kind of the bigger deck sometimes, and, and you do have the wastelands to kind of keep them down a little bit. Yeah, like <laughs> like this is Shardless Bug is one of those decks that's good against it because of like just making a four or five Tarmogoyf is really easy, and you can sit there and wasteland them and outmana them. And sure, and I think Ma- uh, Maverick has some of those same strengths. Yeah, not the worst choice in the world. One deck that caught my eye was the Mono Red Sneak Attack list that we didn't talk about in the last cast. I think would have done really good at our Giga Tournament that we just had for Mox Ruby. Sure, so this is uh, Jeff Hoogland, pioneer and inventor of this deck. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, outside of that, even, what there's a man doing? named Andrew in Minneapolis, Minnesota, who has a, a team called Team Red, and they have the big red logo. Of the tournament, all their all their guys playing this deck, but he's done a lot of forward thinking for the deck, and he's actually the one that borrowed the physical deck to Jeff Boogland as well. <laughs> yeah, I could see like just a room of that deck taking over somewhere. I think just playing uh, Blood Moon is always a recipe for success if you you know just you have some really good draws on the day and uh, you play the right matchups. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's there's enough matchups in Legacy that just like turn one Blood Moon on the play is nigh unbeatable. Well, in a, in a lot of matchups, it actually just wins the game on the spot. Right. Like, uh, all those those Bug Delver decks and a lot of the other decks um, don't have Actuals. a way to actually interact. Yeah. Yeah, they'll actually never cast a spell the whole game if you just turn one of Blood Moon against them. Sure, so, I mean, John Jansen played uh, 8 Moon Stompy at uh, Legacy Quarterly. Blood Human. Well, it was a good idea. It was a good choice for the the week. Because if you look at the top eight, uh, the top eight was three Eldrazi decks, all of which died of Blood Moon. Like, two lands decks that would die to Blood Moon. Uh, Well, at least, you know out the right hands. A lot of the rest of the room, uh, most of the Delver decks just wouldn't be able to really uh, put their own up against it so much. Uh, three Eldrazi, two lands, two Miracles, and one Jund. Yeah, Blood Moon, I think, would be extremely effective. I mean, he got ninth, so he almost had his way in. He probably he would have, it would have been great if he would have won just playing a mono red deck and winning a Mox Ruby. would have been pretty cool. <laughs> Poetic justice, you know, but um, it's not the way the world works. <laughs> yeah, so we had two Miracles players in the top eight going into the finals, and they decided to split, somehow split a moat and a Mox Ruby. One guy took the Ruby and one guy took the moat. The moat guy was compensated a little bit, but yes, that was our finals. I think Lands had made it to the semifinals. It did, yes. Uh, Lands decks had to play each other round one of top eight. Ugh, cannibalized each other. Yeah, it was kind of a, a rough thing to watch. So the interesting thing about this big red list, they almost kind of like a hybrid feel between that Blood Humans deck in a way where they have Godo, the Bandit Warlord, equipment that can just actually be cast versus, you know, more of like the Belcher approach that we've seen with 
a lot of the big red decks uh, in the past. This one almost has like kind of moving into like a mid-range game as well. Um, yeah, sure. It's uh, it's nice to see two Batter Skulls that you can play on turn two. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like Godo for Batter Skull on turn two or three off of just like a single Seething Song is pretty damn good in a lot of matchups. It's just another threat that people have to answer, so. Yeah, and uh, if nothing else, it just buys you a lot of time to, to find other threats. I mean, this deck is, is really dense as far as cards that people have to care about. Between, like, Through the Breach, Chalice of the Void, Batter Skull, Blood Moon, and Sneak Attack. I mean, that's, that's what, 20, no, that's uh, 18 cards you have to worry about. Yeah, your opponent just has to answer everything, and at some point they just run out of answers and you kill them. Well, sure, and if you look at this, I mean, yeah, they all, they all can be interacted with on the stack, but past that, and you've got Through the Breach and Sneak Attack, which are an enchantment, and then otherwise they're just, they're a big dude that's hard to deal with. You've got Chalice and Batter Skull and Blood Moon, and this is all enchantments and artifacts that are you know, just, sometimes they're not abrupt to cable if, you, you know, if you're of Blood Moon or if you're a little lock on mana. So. Yeah, they'll just, yeah, like they just won't have removal for the enchantment that they need to answer and you just win the game, so. And he's got two more Magus of the Moon in the sideboard. It's a lot of uh, it's a lot of so many one threats. It's kind of like Painter, they had to you had to answer so many things. I've always found Painter to be rough just because it has uh, built-in blue hate mainboard. So again, it's it's things that you have to either add, like it's cards you have to either interact with on the stack or they're artifacts for enchantments, right? Um, and in Painter's case, it's mostly artifacts. Yeah. But I mean, and then they also have the way to deal with those counter spells, so they can win the stack interactions. And it really just stretches a lot of decks thin on their removal spells. I mean, your average what bug tech has maybe four abrupt decays, and that's about all they're really going to have game one. And, and there's not much more game two because they're just yeah, crushing their abrupt decays. Yeah, because like most of their removal game one is based on creatures like Liliana Murders Cut if they play bad stuff like that. And then you I mean you look at the rest of these decks, um, and they're they're even less fit to to deal with that. Uh, some of these great Stelver decks might have an ancient grudge or two in the sideboard, but they're not going to have much else to kind of work with. The Grixis decks, um, I mean. Maybe they splash a couple of Birth Decays, but otherwise they're kind of in the same boat as well. You're not in bad shape against a, a fair few of your matchups. Did you guys want to move into the results from the MTGO Legacy Champs? Yeah, uh, Wizard Sites always gives me trouble, so I have to try and find a list somewhere else. Okay, yeah, yeah, I just found it. I remember I looked at this with John the other day. So the top eight's not... Too far out of the ordinary. There's Grixis Delver, Four Color Delver, Eldrazi, Miracles, Charlotte's Bug, and Storm. Uh, but then you also have this, uh, you know, essentially Turbo Dark Depths deck with Vampire Hex Mages and uh, Sylvan Scryings, uh, and a Manalist Dredge deck. I'm sorry, it's a, yeah, it's yeah, Manalist it's Dredge. Um, yeah, Evan, the Steps deck, that's straight up your alley, man. Yeah, it's very similar to uh build that I've done. Very, very similar, actually. Oh, wow, I'm actually seeing that he's playing Brainstorms in the deck just to... Like there's, a drop there's in the actually seat. three in the top 32, so I'm looking at a different one. There's one in 23rd place that is, like, near identical. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking oh, at yeah. the, the fifth place Dark Depths list. There's, so, uh, seven. There's, there's a couple different approaches with this Dark Depths deck I've kind of noticed over the past year or two. Is there's one that's more Belcher-style all-in, just looking for the one-shot kill. And then you have one that basically rebuilds, basically brings disruption and attempts to basically bring out merit lage up to six times or more in a game. And I think the I think the start depths list in fifth is kind of the former, it's kind of more of a Belcher style list. He's playing four gemstone mines and a Sejuri step. He has no life in the loams. He's got really no way to kind of rebuild. 
uh, he's just all in on his uh, his crop rotations, his silver scryings, and his uh, his expedition maps. I mean, that's that's ten ways to go find a land. He's pretty he's deep, and then brainstorm on top of that, you know. So it can be strong. I've seen it on camera before. It's definitely the position that I worry some to ever be in. You know, a depth stack, which is just completely hellbent after you know your guy gets swords or something. I mean, one of the things I like about I guess the other list that I was looking at, I think it was twenty third or whatnot, has a little bit more durability, which I think is just more by choice of style of build, which is just longer play and not losing or winning just on one shot. There's just mm. a lot of life gain that is typically made from the Dark Depths deck, like Swords and Plowshares is absolutely everywhere. Huge threat, so having things like a Bob, Sylvan Library on online makes it basically irrelevant at a certain point um, when I'm just ancestral like each turn. Here, here we are again, you know, deal with it. And it's just opportunity to just make your way to actually just making a kill in different ways. Having things like Deathrite Shaman available as well also helps fight other graveyard strategies. Although Shukabog crop rotation is where you're really trying to aim initially. Yeah, is that main board? Uh, on some of the decks, like I play at main board, I think you should be, I guess, sometimes a meta call, but typically that's definitely a mainstay for the deck. Uh, Sajiri step, find it to be a dead card sometimes. It's arguably worth putting in the list for sure. I think in these all-in decks, I think it's a must. Sure, and I mean, looking at this fifth place list, he's, he only does three things. He's got ten cards that find land, he's got eight discard spells, and then he's got the combo mana. You know, it's, it's all just it's all it is, and then there's got a couple brainstorms to kind of glue it all together. If his Dark Dust package is not firing on all cylinders, he's not he's not winning a game. <laughs> This is MTGO, so like part of me is like, I guess I, I don't know enough. I don't, I don't think any of us play MTGO, so it's not worth listening to anything we have to say about the metagame, but I have heard that it's a little loose at times and sometimes got really tight players. So um, well, I, I find most of the, uh, the Moto players do pretty good just because they do get a lot of reps in with these decks. You know, whereas, whereas we might get to play once a week, maybe four matches per week in Legacy, right? Um, I mean, they can... They can play hours and hours and on on each night, every night of the week, and get you know maybe six or seven times as many lists or deck lists, six or seven times as many games in as uh, as I could in the week going to just weekly legacy. Uh, I think you also get a lot of people though floating in don't typically float into paper. We wouldn't get some person that just can buy X cheap deck in MTGO paper version. Just well, sure. Uh, I mean this this Starcups list is is telling me it's like. Almost eighteen hundred dollars in in paper, and it's only about four hundred tickets online. Right, so I think that that might be part of the meta as well, like cost. And there's just, I think you might have a more open field of like just people that grind magic in general, being like, oh yeah, I'll spend three, four hundred dollars and buy a legacy deck versus. In paper, you have a more dedicated field, and and that's that point is not to take anything away from how skilled someone is in MTGO versus paper, but I think it does kind of make an interesting change in meta. I, th- I think you just have to kind of like skew your perception, right? Because I mean, yeah, paper decks are more expensive, but that doesn't mean that Magic Online Legacy deck is not expensive for Magic Online. And so I think even if like if, you know if you are investing four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars in a Legacy deck online, I mean that's that's a lot more than you would spend playing other formats, and so I think you have to kind of you want you have to want to commit to playing Legacy, um, at least in some capacity. Um, and whether that's your only format, which I, I doubt it is on Magic Online, players are, are really good about you know playing draft, playing standard, and playing Legacy. But I, I I really think the biggest difference is that you can get so many games in on Magic Online at any time of day, especially with leagues. I mean, just 
go play a game, go play two games, you know. And so I think you just you get more exposure to the format. When I see people at like SCG Opens that have only played at their local store or they've only played with the the ten people in their area, they have no experience with all the random decks and legacy that pop up, and they don't have anywhere near the amount of repetition. Uh, that they need to kind of understand every matchup in you know in its fullest, right? But I don't think that's quite the problem online. I mean, I would say that like at our store, at least a lot of our players make it probably top thirty-two. The last classic was polluted with local Atlantic people. Sure, I mean, but that's kind of the benefit of having people that play different decks. Um, I mean, for a while there, when Super Games was getting you know twenty to well twenty-five to like thirty-five men weeklies with people playing uh, you know at least some kind of variety of deck lists varying it each week, I mean you could at least see most of the decks you would play against at a large event, and that does help. And that's something that not a lot of areas have to work with. Yeah, like there's many people here in Atlanta that can just build any deck any night, so you don't really. You get more well-versed, I guess. There's enough, right? So you actually do get to see some variety. Yeah. If I was playing at my local store with ten people and the only Miracles player I got to play always played the same way and he always played the same list, I might not know how to play against other Miracles builds. You know, like, nowadays, like, there's additional, um, you know, like, uh, Jason Tree builds, there's the Mentor decks, there's the, you know, the Dillian Click and Venture decks, there's the Nahiri decks, you know, like, and they're all different variants of this one Miracles list and Every player plays their counterbalance a little differently, and they, you know, they, uh, if you have a little more exposure to the to the ways that people play, I think you're a little more versed in how to actually prepare and kind of adapt. Yeah. But that's like anything, though. I mean, that's that, that's any game, and that's that's kind of anything you do in life. And so. One thing I'm noticing going back to these dark depths lists is some are playing exploration map, and some are playing Sylvan's Crying. I've noticed this with twelve posts too. To be a strong pro and con versus these two cards. Yeah. Obviously, you have like an instant speed possibility with the map, and then you have a cost reduction with Sylvan's Grind with Christmas speed. Yeah, well, there's also the colorless investment. Or I, you know, I feel like you have to have three mana to use map. Like I wouldn't throw down a map if I can't crack it. I mean, at least for sure, if, unless it's a deck that just I know doesn't have removal. But if a deck has removal, it's pretty ignorant to throw down a map when you can't actually activate it. Again, I'm I'm only looking at the fifth place list right now, but I mean he's playing. Three Sylvan Scrying, um, and he's got, what, two, uh, six, ten, eleven, eleven green sources, I guess? Oh, yeah, yeah, green sources. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, he's trying to play Hex Mage on turn two. I mean, it's, it's not like his deck um, can't get green as well. It's just that, you know, the expedition map's a little more reliable in that case. Right. Um, yeah, you can play them off black mana or boards and stuff. Your Mox Diamond is going to be pitching black a lot of the time because that's what you have for your extra discard spells, or that's what you have. Diamond taps for any color, so it's fine to cast it. I'm, I'm stupid. I'm thinking the chromats. <laughs> <laughs> I still think I, I see what you're saying. Like you've got if, turn, if you have yeah, it, like if you have map in hand and your hand is like Urborg Wasteland, you can still make the map crack the map. Right, like you have a little more flexibility with the hands that you can keep with this list. It has repeated ways to do the exact same thing. I think the more often you can keep a seven card hand, the better. Because like you, you don't really need to assemble a mass card, mass amount of cards, but just being able to assemble those two cards plus you know all your tutors and stuff. No, but it, I mean, if it, if it takes you five cards to make Merit Lage, right? If you keep seven, that's only three more cards you need to make Merit Lage again. Right. Anyway, so the one interesting list I saw actually was an analyst stretch that and also in fifth place. Yeah, it's like more prized amalgam. Yeah, I think it's really great to see because it does it pitches to Force Will, which is kind of fun to, fun to have access to. Yeah, your your one of your herbal threats pitches to Force, so it's not completely dead in hand. 
And this is kind of a you know a, a little bit different of a, an approach now that you have that many recurrable threats. I mean, he's got four Icarids, four Prize, four Nether Shadow, and then you know the, the four Narcomune as well, um, which I guess means he doesn't have to play Whirlpool Rider main board because he doesn't need to go big on his treasure turn. He just needs to you know essentially grind the game. Yeah, just make dudes, make zombies, attack you, eventually beat you down. Yeah, it's playing a little closer to Vince's stretch in that regard, where it doesn't actually need to go, you know, balls to the wall, try to resolve spells in the stack, and kind of just make two twos and three threes. I'm not sure if I like the mana list lists necessarily more than the mana lists right now, but definitely gives it a different angle of attack. Right, right. I've always thought they they always feel a little fragile to me, but maybe I just don't like not being able to to really decide my hands and decide how they're going to play out. I don't yeah, like playing mulliganing the Mulliganing is really bad <laughs> in the deck, so like, you just don't want to mulligan ever. Mulliganing is so bad. Right a lot. It is. It probably is. But And, and then like, you're so dependent on the top of your deck. Not my cup of tea. So do you guys want to move on to the SCD Columbus results? Is that the one that had like seven or like it had like six Miracles decks or something in top eight? No, not quite. Um, actually, it looks like it has zero Miracles. No, it has one, two, three, three Miracles. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of Prague or the, the one Prague? over in Europe. That one I could believe. Yeah. yeah. They do love their Miracles. Yeah, I remember one week there was like six or six Miracles or something, and then the next week in the other event it was like zero. It's kind of a weird message. <laughs> yeah. This one has three Miracles in the top 16. The notables are Sneak and Show took first, Omnitel is third, uh, Storm took second. Huh. see a lack of Eldrazi overall, but uh, we have one Lands player, we have a Belcher player on 13th, uh, and we actually have a 12 post player in 9th. Three Grixis Delver, so it seems like Grixis Delver is starting to climb a bit. seems to have pretty parallel results to Miracles. I'm not sure if that's based on popularity or power. Well, I, again, like this is a 100-man event. So if an extra few groups of Stubber players showed up, that's an extra few chances on the next top eight. Yeah, 12 posts is kind of sweet. I think with all the miracles and stuff around, it's actually pretty well positioned, too. Yeah, and I, I think it has pretty good game against young Eldrazi deck. Yeah, I'm actually just thinking Probably, that. Probably, yeah. yeah, I can yeah. see that. I mean, the problem is, the only thing that's, I think two Ugins might be a little too many, but I don't know, it's sort of meta, jumping to Ugin is really good in the deck, but now that we've moved towards Eldrazi, it doesn't have a lot of power against that deck, and uh, <laughs> you need to move pretty fast, you can't show and tell that card out either. How do you feel about the uh, the, the toolbox of fatties? He's got one 15-drop Emrakul, one 13-drop Emrakul, and one 10-drop uh, Lumog. I would play something similar to the, this list, but I'd... I'm not I'm not sold on Emrakul the Promised End at all. Like more of like a cute card in my opinion. Like this deck is trying to survive more than like play mind games or whatever with your opponent. Sure, I think it's it out fast in some in definitely in some cases. But at that stage, I feel like twelve post kind of changes gears really fast, and there isn't really that like if you're going for that mid level of six to eight mana cost, uh, you don't have eye for Ulamog. You know, I think like something like Platinum Imperium is better, Worm Coil Engine, cards that actually keep you alive. Emrakul just gives them another turn still, even though you're taking one of their turns. I, I just you can disrupt them quite a bit, but the, I, I just think that 12 post isn't in the position to offer that much more game to their opponent. That's just a personal opinion. I think that two Ulamogs would be better. Sure, and I, I would argue that um, Promised End is probably going to be more expensive than Ulamog most of the time anyways. But like the only things you can really reliably say you're going to have in your graveyard are going to be like 
a land and an instant. I don't think you can count on having a sorcery and show and tell. You can't count on having an artifact really that's got explosives. Maybe he's got two explosives. So you're probably looking at, you know, an 11 drop Emrakul. Yeah, and a lot of times you'd rather just have Nulamog. I think, yeah. I think you'd rather have another Nulamog. Nulamog is just insane. And to have a backup, I think, is just great. I mean, Chaining Ulamogs with Caracas is amazing. Even just stacking two Ulamogs and like just swinging in and casting another one isn't that bad. No, no, no. Um, and if somebody thought seizes your Ulamog away, that actually is pretty rough on this deck, like to because he doesn't have the trigger to reshuffle into your library. So if he is removed by discard, it, it can be pretty critical to the deck at times. You'll have to get Emrakul back in your graveyard to reshuffle. Ulamog has come probably arguably the strongest card in the deck um, outside of Titan. I mean, as far as blue green. Well. Fortunately, he's got the sick tech in the cyber for discard. Thalia Academy. Yep, yeah, I just bought a bunch of those. That card is sick. Seems hilarious. I guess. Interpretation to that in response to, like, a Palsies? Yeah, so I guess for those not initiated, <laughs> we went over it in the last cast. Basically, uh, the Oracle text is, if a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard a card, you may reveal that card and put it on top of your library instead of putting it anywhere else. Otherwise, taps for one colorless mana. Doesn't come into play tapped. Yeah, that's an uncommon, so pick them up. Any deck that plays crop rotation, I think, will probably be considering it in the future. It's no uh, Rogue's Passage. I'll, I mean, I, I learned the hard way being $250 for Ancient Stirrings, and saw them, now they're like 5 bucks. It's just a common, you know, it's just, these cards always creep up on you. Yeah, especially when they're played as like 4 offs and stuff. I'd, yeah, I'd pick it up for $0.50 cents or $0.10, cents but just to have a good legacy card in your box. Or the green Condor, right? Both of Nissa love it. No, uh, yeah, other than this, uh, yeah. I found Grapple with the Past, pretty solid card for 12 posts. I responded at one point to it in Exume in my second reanimator match. Grapple with the Past, got Primeval Titan, pretty sweet. Which one's, what's Grapple the Past? Grapple the Past is one colorless, one green, instant speed, which is a critical part of this card for 12 posts. Take the top three cards from your deck and put them into your graveyard, and then you can choose a land or a creature and put it into your hand. Huh. And you or, did that in response to an exhume? Right. Oh, God. And obviously didn't pick the Titan. Well, I picked it for the exhume. They've really been trying to print these uh, these, these two-mana Miller Self cards lately. They're they're promoting a, a new uh, a new way of interacting with the graveyard. Go yeah. less OP, but still kind of touches. I mean, we had, like, what, Grizzly Salvage, Commune with the Gods, um, uh, Mulch, <laughs> coming back for a reprint again. Yeah, those... Um, I guess, yeah, there's no blue, there's no, like, Anticipate, or, um, what was the three-man with flashback one? Forbidden uh, Alchemy? Alchemy, yeah, there's not much, not much in the way of blue this time around, I guess. They seem to be, uh, you know, at least lately printing cards that, that kind of care about the graveyard. In that regard, and care about putting cards into the graveyard, it's always a cause for alertness and legacy when you have to worry about loam decks and, uh, reanimator decks, and, um... I can certainly see them if they continue to do this, printing something that actually could be playable. Oh, yeah. They've been printing cards that are very powerful lately. Well, when they were printing, um, you know, crazy stuff like Death Ring and Abrupt Decay, it seemed like they were going to try and print three to four cards per set um, that were legacy playable. And it looked like they were trying really hard to do that. And it, it's nice to see that they've eased back off. Like this last set, all you really got is Thalia, and then a couple niche cards that might see playing some, you know, like Tier 2 combo decks. That blue-white combo, or a counterspell guy, maybe? Yeah, we yeah, almost like, got the whole spirit trap. There's a couple things that have, you know, like a little bit of playability that you might see creep into Legacy as a one-up here or there, and just some, some different strategies. It's, it's nice to see something like prized Amalgolite or whatever you pronounce it. 
So they've definitely been printing more and more oh, wow. playable cards in, in, in Legacy. But they haven't done anything nearly as format warping as they do with Abrupt Decay and Death Ray Shaman, which I'm, I'm kind of oh, glad wow. about. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the yeah. last couple of years of Magic, that's they, they've really printed some powerhouses uh, between... Yeah, like, Death you know, has invalidated whole strategies by himself. Yeah, and, well, and it was the same thing with like Delver and Terminus, right? And even Grizzlebrand to a degree. I mean, these are cards that kind of just defined what it meant to be in those kind of strategies. If, if you want to yeah, be a blue topo deck, you're, you're playing um, Delver. If you want to be a reanimator or unfair creature deck, you're playing Grizzlebrand, Grizzle right? You know, yeah. If you want to play any kind of removal spell that's versatile, you can play Abrupt Decay or you play something close to it, right? And it was the same thing yeah, with Stoneforge for a while, even. If you're any kind of creature-based deck, you just one of the best things you can be doing is just stone forging and equipment and attaching it to it. Yeah, and so, you know, it, it, they've, they've done it repeatedly now, where they, uh, they basically print that thing in Legacy, and then they kind of print answers to it, and they kind of easy back off of it. Um, or, or the format picks it up and figures it out. But that doesn't happen as often, just because everything moves so quickly nowadays. Um, you know, if, if something does get too good, it's, it's usually, there's either a solution found within the next couple of weeks, or there's, there's not. You know, we'll see if they continue to do that. If they continue to push cards that are intentionally probably almost too powerful to actually just slot into Legacy and they become their own centerpieces. It's hard to tell where they're drawing the line between Modern and Legacy. Because for a while there, they were printing cards that were really good in Modern that happened to also be really good in Legacy. With Modern kind of being a, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a, they've decreased their interest in Modern lately. Yeah, well, they just said fuck it when they printed Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise. Well, that's, that's another card too, right? You know, they they printed both of those, and and they completely changed what it meant to be a blue deck that wanted to draw cards. <laughs> oh yeah, that's when you start seeing like the twelve cantrip, sixteen cantrip decks, and it was insane. Yeah, and like you know, if you're gonna play lightning bolts, and you're gonna play Dicky times, and it's just it's really interesting to see how many new border cards I have in my legacy decks. Yeah, at this point, like Maverick, if you look at Maverick, it's like Mother of Runes, and that's it. I can't think of anything old they really play at this point. Creature-wise, yeah. I mean, Lands, just like Source of Plasters. Yeah. Um, but it's just because the card quality is going through the roof. spells at this point in the format. It's a lot of creatures. So. Yeah. Well, it's, and not many creatures from before Goyf that really get played. They're strapping on more effects on the creature. Like, they're stapling spells on the creatures now. Probably more than ever. So. Yeah, and making them aggressively costed. Like Eldrazi. Exactly. Like, oh. Thought is the glue of that deck. Yeah, just... A four drop, four four that thoughts he's used just like way better than any other four mana creature that any Stompy deck has had access to before. I mean go look like Juggernaut, you know. <laughs> I mean I guess like Lodestone Golem is fine a lot of the time, but Thoughtnot's probably a little more versatile and having four butt makes it really tough to block profitably. And you can't bolt it. Like, I almost wish it was 5-3, easier to get rid of. Like, 4-4 four, four is like a nice, solid body on it. Yeah, no, like, Swords is really the only removal that hits it well in the format that gets played. Speaking of 5-3s, why is Reality Smasher not a 5-3? Oh, my God, that card. That card is insane, too. Like, I don't know, Jesus Christ. Or make it a Slash yeah. Panther, you know? <laughs> make it, like... <laughs> Yeah, like a 5-3 would be big enough that, like, it survives a lot of combat with creatures, but at least you can remove it reasonably. Yeah, well, at least you're only taking, like, one hit on Trample. Yeah, after they hit you, they attack for 5, and you're like, well, I have no good blocks here, so you just don't block. The next attack, you're like, well, now I have to just make a bad trade because this thing doesn't die to anything. Right, and maybe I can't afford to take more damage, but, um... Right. I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, if they're continuing to print more graveyard focus sets or more attention to the graveyard, and they, they already did delve. 
Um, and maybe that's as far as they'll go. It's something to watch out for. To be honest, I already thought we had our graveyard phase, and then you know I thought rest in peace was the answer, and everyone's gonna play that and get, you know grab your stage. <laughs> now we're gonna go somewhere else. You know we're gonna go play from exile or something. But <laughs> but we're still yeah. there. I guess maybe like the next thing they could do is have start like cards playing from your deck or something. Yeah, they like seem to like or something. I don't know. I, they just want to choose a new zone every time, right? They made Flashback and Delve and Dredge kind of cards in the graveyards, and so <laughs> one day we're gonna have a two mana Pangalacial Worm of some sort. Yeah, you know that's maybe they'll print more cards that you can play from Exile like they just did in the last set. Oh yeah, I'm I'm waiting for you to draw from the bottom of your library. More Grenzo stuff. More Cellar Door. More Cellar Doors. Play Cellar, cellar Doors, doors Grenzo, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the guy that Whisper Wood that played like morphs a thing off the top of your deck instead. You have like a uh, something yeah. that exiles the bottom card or something, and you can play it that turn. Yeah, well, it's, you know, makes clue tokens off the bottom of your library. Ooh. <laughs> Pay two to put the card in your hand. I don't know. Something <laughs> stupid. Oh, that'd be that'd be kind of cool. You can actually look at what you're gonna put in. And then they can print more, you know, condemn style removal. <laughs> put it on the bottom. So I, I don't know. I, I just I always thought that'd be a good idea. One more way to just make you move your deck around again. <laughs> then, magic like, we go to outer space. Magic like, we go to outer space. Magic like, we go to outer space. Magic we go to outer space. Oh god. <laughs> well, it's it's only when they sell out, you know. So when some other that'd be really weird. says we want to take over. Creature type alien. No nah, man, it'll just be Eldrazi's in space. Emmercool is gonna eat the moon. And some for some reason we'll have like, you know, vampire tribal allies. <laughs> the vampire allies will be fighting the Eldrazi. Hell wait, we, like did space that. <laughs> we already did that. It's gonna be Innistrad in space. Oh Jesus Christ. Brandon, do you have any comments on uh, elves at all? Congratulations to Julian for I think twenty fourth or twenty fifth in that Legacy Champs. Yes, yes. He had a Oh yeah, um, the German guy. Yeah, he had a new build on Chaos Elves, which is natural orderless elves. It's orderless, hence the chaos. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, I get it. Oh, I see why it's called chaos. I, I thought it was just like a piece of shit or something. No, it's orderless. You get it? Huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the deck lists are kind of cool. You get to play the uh, Shaman of the pack. Well, the cool part is you get to play like all the great one ofs you want to play anyways, like Reclamation Sage, Ooze, Shaman, and Packmaster. Um, yeah, you're just more all in on your green sun package. Because you don't have to play in the uh, the natural orders to kind of take those slots. And he's also playing he's playing two Eruptic main and one Jitte, which gives you some more essentially, you know, like it's almost another four drop threat, right? So that's kinda of nice to see. The interesting thing I'm seeing here is that he's not playing his uh his Gaddock Teague main, which uh huh. used to be a staple of the list. That's like kind, kind of the like point, reason. right? Well, it used to be kind of the reason, but um, I guess if you're playing... He doesn't even have him in the sideboard, which I think is interesting. Wow. I guess he's just shifted away from that. Because that used huh. to be the idea, is that you wanted to play against Miracles and Ants all day long, and you had access yeah, to turn two Gadoxeague, which, which was awesome. Yeah, it's like a similar... It's like Maverick, where you always have like access to turn two Teague most of the time, but in this version you can also just kill your opponent quickly, make a bunch of dudes in the fair matchups. Which, if that's going to be the case, I almost wonder if you want to play you know, maybe one or two match orders, just because... But, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you're hedging your bets against certain matchups and you're essentially playing a pre-boarded game against those decks. Because uh, Natural yeah. Order comes out in a lot of matchups. It's, it's just, it's too much investment uh, to get Force of Will or discarded or anything else like that. And so if you can remove that chance it'll get blown out, you're, you're playing a better game one. Yeah. But, interestingly, his sideboard is two Choke, Garuk Relentless, the two remaining replicates, he's got four total. 
And then he's he's playing the the whole standard kind of uh, you know six discard two pity mule and two surgical extraction. So he's playing a complete sideboard on top of his already essentially four sideboard card main deck. Yeah. With the so uh, you're really preparing to beat like miracles and ant and stuff. Yeah, yeah, just have a little better game. Most interesting thing to me though is just is the acts uh, the the lack of Sylvan Library. There's there's no Sylvan Library main or sideboard. Huh. So like you don't really set up to grind as much then I guess like you're not trying to. Yeah, I just I just find it strange because that's one of the cards I really do like playing in that kind of list because I feel like if you do get Terminus or Toxic Deluge or you know. Golgari, Tron, something like that. Yeah, it's it's sometimes can be kind of hard to actually fully rebuild unless you're already all set up with visionaries. I think if you get blown out while you're still trying to set up, it's a little harder to come back. Yeah, you don't have the way to dig out. So yeah, I don't know, but um, I do like having decay main. It's nice to give it a shot. Um, last time I played Chaos, I, was, I wasn't entirely pleased with it. I did like the game one win percentage. It's kind of nice to have that extra little bit of an odd. Yeah. But there were a lot of games where I felt like you were. You were stalling out the game where you were drawing into nothing, because if you don't draw any of your like real relevant threats, you just sit there uh, with a bunch of one and two drops, and you're not drawing towards anything. You're not drawing towards the inevitable natural order. You're drawing towards I don't know another scavenging news. Yeah, I guess Shaman of the Pack was kind of like the way to break a standstill with the deck. It is, yeah. I think the longer you're not drawing natural order, the more time you're giving your opponent to kill you or or make some kind of advancement, and yeah, it just felt easier to die to Delver. But with the decays and the decay, I think you kind of hedge against that. How about this archetype of endurance in Reanimator? <laughs> Is that the hexproof guy? So there's a uh, 25th place. He's got archetype of endurance. Yeah, so the eight drop green boar. Enchantment, enchantment creature boar. Yeah, creature secret hexproof. <laughs> oh boy. I guess you make oh, it and then gets to protect your uh, your other dudes. Oh, so now we have two creatures in play. Oh great. I guess we're I, ahead. I really didn't have much else to talk about. I haven't been playing a whole lot of Magic, so I don't really know. Oh, actually, there's one thing, though. Um, what do you guys think of the uh, the Doomsday promo? Uh, Is that a real one, or is that just an MTGO promo? It's MTGO. MTGO? Oh. Oh, yeah. What do you that? Pretty it's sweet. relevant to me. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the other one, Undiscovered Paradise? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the Purple Doomsday. Not really any reason to get it, though. Yeah. It's... What, like ten bucks? I don't know. You get cheap ones for like five, can't you? Yeah, Dredge plays it a little bit. Anything uh, Blood Gast is kind of sweet in it. Well, the Legacy Dragons maybe plays one or two, and then Vintage plays maybe four. Yeah, and then Pox with Blood Gast. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Uh, I guess uh, Vengevine deck, uh, like whatever it's called, like Carrion Feeders and um, Vengevine and Goblin Bombardment. Who's dead? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the special. What Dredgevine? I don't know. It's like the Goblin Goblin Bombardment Zombie Deck. Zombardment. Zombardment. Sure, fling. You get to make a giant carrying figure and then fling it at their face. But have you guys lost an entire match to fling? Because I have. (laughs) Uh, Sounds awful. Two games in a row to fling. What were they flinging? Poop. Slumbering Dragon. <laughs> he's a one. He's a one three that like gets a plus one plus one counter if you attack or something like that. Yeah, I I guess. Uh, <laughs> not my high point in Magic. <laughs> <laughs> Should have played White Leyline to protect you. Speaking of White Leyline, I'm playing a uh, Chantress altogether now, so can start playing that thing. 
Sweet. Enchantress is sweet. It's been showing up in our meta a lot. How much, uh, how much overlap did you decide there was between yeah. Maverick and Enchantress? Uh, it's like three green suns, Windswift Heath, and a Savannah. So Not bad. I think Cody said he's just going to buy all that stuff, and then he can just play whichever deck I don't play every week. Yeah, that's a reasonable choice. Does he have time to play? Uh, he gets to play every once in a while, so spend 150 bucks, buy everything I don't have, and you can play whenever you want. It's a lot cheaper than buying a whole deck. So The Legacy Special. Yeah. Seems <laughs> <laughs> like even if you offer it, a lot of people just don't want to borrow cards for some reason. It just depends. Like, you know, I guess I'd rather borrow from people I know just in case something happens. Or... Right. Yeah. I always wonder if they're just a little too timid to do so. But Yeah. If they're too timid to actually ask to just, like, borrow, you know, $1,000 worth of cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm happy to see the cards get some use. It's nice to see them get played. I don't know. I'm not like a hoarder. So I'm just like having everything I want. Yeah, play. it's good for hashtag community building. Exactly. Find out cards to people and let them play the format. How's y'all around, bro? So actually, that's another thing. So, um, <laughs> I had a 10 proxy legacy event down in Florida that apparently they're going to be doing monthly. Now, the, inter- oh, wow. the interesting part to me was that the 10 proxy event, most people had to complete decks, um, but quite a number only were missing maybe two cards, maybe three cards. And a lot yeah. of that was them trying something else out or they were trying to play an after duel. It was interesting to me to see that just, you know, most people were close enough to decks that it didn't really make a difference. Um, so even the guys that were borrowing decks were, were borrowing almost complete 75s. So I, I do think that, you know, there are more people than you think that have access to decks. Um, the whole, we should have proxy tournaments just to try and get people into the format is kind of a, Kind of a crock. It's just because if you have 65 cards out of your 75 card deck, you're you're already playing Legacy. You're already invested. Yeah, even if you're playing like shocks instead of duels or something. Like, yeah, like you're a thousand dollars deep. You know, it's like come on. I'm gonna start. I, I don't know. One of these weekends, I'm definitely gonna play with some shocks instead of some duels. Just to see like there was a um, see how many games difference you lose because of it. There was a modern burn player that was proxying uh, proxying like fire blast or something though. So that was, that was pretty entertaining to watch. Fireblast. He had everything except for the legacy label cards. Well, yeah. Like, I think he picked up, like, Price of Progresses from Eternal Masters or something. So, but, um, yeah, he was pretty silly to watch. But, um, well, the good thing about Eternal Masters is I was actually talking to a guy who I think was playing modern. He moved into legacy recently at this Giga Quarterly and brought up that it was cool that, you know, there's more players, et cetera, with Eternal Masters, even though, you know, prices didn't seem to really go down. And he brought up a good point where it was like, he's like, well, you know, that there's a lot more cards in trade binders. You know, so now like, yeah. there's this access level where, like, I think that there's actually is, like, a big price decrease in that regard where you can actually trade for them now, where it was a lot harder before. Sure, and I think that's actually an yeah. interesting point, too, is that, um, I mean, now that you have Eternal Masters as a, 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 a pack you can open, I mean, you can open that Caracas and, and you can trade it towards duels, uh, whereas it's a lot harder to trade your standard cards towards duels in your average, yeah. like, local store, right? It's also, like, you know, if a standard player goes and plays Eternal Masters draft and then they just crack something, like, like if you or I that normally played Legacy just had a Caracas, we probably wouldn't trade it just because we know we need it at one point, whereas, like, a standard player just cracks it from having fun in his oh, draft, and it's pretty easy to get off. Like, they're totally fine with getting, like, a play set of dual lands in standard or something, you know, whatever equivalent value for a Caracas, just because it's just big value for them. Right, right. That's kind of been nice to see. Um, I, I do agree, though. I don't think Eternal Masters helped the price. Um, it's similar to what happened with Modern Masters. Um, so the cards that were printed got cheaper, but everything that wasn't printed got more expensive. <laughs> it kind of ends um, up dialing itself up. Well, it's like they, you know, they printed natural order. What are you gonna do with natural orders, right? You're gonna pick up cradles. Um, well, cradles jumped in price, you know, and 
Like you're paying eight hundred dollars for a set of cradles. Well, I don't think I will do that, you know, because I have my but my, my twenty dollar natural bucks, Yeah, you save ten bucks in your natural orders, so that makes up for the extra two hundred you have to spend now on a set of cradles. Yeah, and the, like the forces aren't even down in price really. Who, what decks need Caracas besides like death and taxes that you would actually yeah. say? I'm well, like that you would actually say I'm going to build a deck now that I have a Caracas. You know. It's, oh. I mean, I guess, like, now 12 post players that didn't have it before have it in Maverick, maybe? Yeah, but if and you... Maverick's the only deck that plays, like, a one-of. Maybe that's your one-of that you really didn't think you needed at all. Any, it's the card you you were going to pick up later if you had the time to and had the money to eventually. So Yeah, it's um, like you uh, played Modern Jun. You know, if you opened up a ugly-ass wire with somebody, I mean, you should just rip it in half. <laughs> and then you're worse off than you were before, you know, so I don't know. There was a 12-post player who top-aided that uh, win condition monthly we had. Yeah. He was a modern... I mean, he had a fucking breeding pit or breeding pool, the, the yeah. tropical island and modern in his deck. Obviously, he didn't have candle. He had a new Caracas. It's just that little bit of hype, I feel like, with, like, I feel like the magic community is like so spoon-fed driven. People just hear that there's support and other people are excited. Jump on. Yeah. Sure. I think it was a plus for sure. But yeah, we had like, a, there's a dude there like playing Nick Fit who like picked up a Bayou while we were there and he was super stoked. And there was a Shardless player and these are all like modern, like 20, 22 year old guys. I'm Man old. Childs. I I'm 24. Post player. I am also, yeah. I'm 24. Am I a man child? Basically. No. You watch Japanese cartoons, so yeah. I'm just old as all it is, you know. I mean, well, they—I mean, they might have been younger. They seemed younger than you, so maybe they were like, maybe I'm just bad at gauging age now. So they might have been like 19, 20. Yeah, they, I played against a 12 plus player in the top eight, and yeah, he was like Josh would know better. Evan, he was 14. You're getting really old. Yeah, I know. <laughs> if dual lands are really killing you, I think a shock land isn't that bad, man. Like in a lot of situations, like if you, especially if you, I, I'm sure there's like a way of thinking when having shocks, like. You know, there's obviously the basics of, you know, okay, fetch at the end of your turn, get shock land. I'm sure they do that in modern. And, you know, yeah, yeah. Do damage, that so. does carry over to a degree. Maybe you have to play a little bit worse with your brainstorms or your top activations, but choose the right decks, it's not a big of a deal. Yeah, like, like burn and storm might be a concern, like direct damage decks, loss of life, direct loss, but I think against a lot of decks, playing like Infect, for instance, with the Tropical Island modern version. Yeah, that's... that's Probably perfectly fine. Yeah, like, I, I think you can get away with that. Anyway, so I just realized it's almost 11 o'clock for you guys. Yeah. I'm in central time. Yeah, it's getting close to my bedtime, so. All right, I think we'll call it wraps then. Sounds good. We will end this episode. Hope everyone enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, thanks guys for listening to us, so probably see you next time. Yeah, definitely. And try to start doing some Tusk mail, too, so you can email us at tusktalk at gmail.com. Um, you can also just talk shit to us on our stream. We'll pay attention for the next Gigabytes quarterly. We'll be streaming the larger events. Streaming weekly is tough for us. We're kind of doing it on our own, so probably going to be focusing on bigger events. Uh, just have that consistency and up the quality a bit and make sure we got the best coverage available. The event more than 10 minutes before it starts. And, yeah. <laughs> so we rely on the community pretty heavily. But yeah, so look forward to that vintage and legacy coverage. Um, but yeah, that should end this episode. Alright. Alright, have a good night, guys. Alright, guys, you have a good night. Thank you. What the fuck is this shit? Got three incinerate and two burst lightnings. Alright, I'll see you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking playing Bullshock Refugee.
There's a four of them in the sideboard. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Alright, good night, Evan. Alright, I'll keep in that. Have a good night.